highlighting um, four different places in the book of Exodus. Um, that may seem like a strange book to be in for, for Christmas, um, seeing as how, uh, at least in the, the flow of Scripture, Jesus doesn't come until uh, several books later, almost towards the end of the Bible. We're close to the beginning. Um, one reason we're, we're doing that is in order to understand the, the significance and ab- about what is going on, the fact that our God would come to us, we realize that, that the God who sent Jesus, sometimes people have this concept that the God of the New Testament is a God of grace and love and mercy, but the God of the Old Testament is one of wrath and laws and rules. But what we've been seeing is that God's character is the same. And the gracious and loving and merciful God that would take on flesh and, and humble Himself to redeem and save us is the same God who, who humbled Himself to come and redeem a people out of Egypt. And as we have hoped and trusted in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who has sent Jesus, we're heirs of those promises. We've been brought into that people and their stories are our stories because we've been adopted and brought into the people of God. And so this morning we'll close out our time of seeing uh, Advent and Exodus um, by looking at, at uh, one more aspect of our family history in the book of uh, Exodus. Um, so if you want to follow along, um, we'll be on uh, in chapter 29 and chapter 40 this morning. Um, but we'll start in chapter 29. And if you want to, if you have want to follow along in one of the black Bibles that are there in your seats, that'll be on page 70. Um, uh, but one thing to to think about first, I want I want you to think back. Uh, several, a lot of the the kids here, you're out on Christmas break, whether you're it's Christmas break from from public school or home school or private school or college, you're on a break. Um, and if you're a parent or, or an adult, think back to your memories as a kid of getting out of school and longing for those, those times of, of break and deliverance from class. Um, yes. Uh, and think about, think about this, though. Your, your anticipation and excitement of getting out of school, being delivered out of school, and uh, that, that day of getting out of class comes... And you, you walk out of, of school and excited and anticipating about what lies before you because you've gotten out of school. It is behind you. Only to find out that you have been selected for something extremely special. You get to go back to school throughout the whole break to do some extra studying and cleaning because you're part of a, a, a trial student thing that they're, they're going on about year-round, no-break school. That's not very fun. The excitement goes because, you see, the, it's not just about what you're being delivered from. What you're being delivered to is very important as well. Think about this on the other side. What if... Instead of that, you walk out of school the day of Christmas break and your parents meet you outside and they tell you, we have an 
something incredible to tell you. You have been selected for something very special. You get to go to Disney World. And you get to go to the front of every line. You don't have to wait. Your, your fast passes are infinite. You get to ride around with Mickey all over the Magic Kingdom. Um, and you get to go to every single park, and they will have a parade in your honor that you get to ride in to open up the, the day. And then when there's the fireworks display at night, it is going to print your name in the sky over the, the castle. Contrast those things. What you're being delivered to is, is just as important and significant as what you're being delivered from. Uh, and, and, and it's important for us to understand those things. It's, it's no different with this idea of salvation that we think about in Scripture. If we're not careful, sometimes when we talk about the good news of the Christian life, we can say that what it means is, is that we are saved from our sins. We're saved from hell. That's what the good news of Jesus coming into the world is. Well, that's what we're saved from. But what are we saved to? Is it important? Is it significant? So what we want to do is look at Exodus. Man, seeing this is God's work of redeeming and saving His people. We want to look at those two things. What are God's people being saved from? And what are God's people being saved to? To help inform us on our heart response to our God who enters in and comes to pursue His people. So, if you uh, want to look um, into um, Exodus uh, 29, I'll read for us beginning in verse uh, 38 um, down to verse 46 and then over in uh, chapter 40. And then I'll, I'll pray for us. So follow along with me if you would. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to Yahweh. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Uh, before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. If you would flip over to chapter 40. It's on page 80 if you're in one of the black Bibles. Verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, 
and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would use Your Word uh, to transform us, uh, to show us how great Jesus is uh, and that we have been saved into a relationship with You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, first thing to answer and look at this question of what we we are learning as, as God comes to save and redeem and rescue His people, what is it that He's coming to deliver us from? To deliver His people from? Notice, here in this passage, um, up to this point, what would have, uh, have occurred previous would have been, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, as God, remember, when Israel, was, they were enslaved uh, in Egypt, they called out to God and God came and delivered them um, with these great, incredible, mighty acts and powers to, uh, to deliver them from Egypt. And he, he emphasizes this here uh, in verse 46. And they shall know that I am Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That is something that God wants His people to remember. I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. From this point on, this is how God wants to be known by His people. As the God who brought you out of Egypt. It transforms their understanding. It gives them a perspective of his care and his concern and his faithfulness to them. That he would be the God that brought them out of Egypt. What does this tell us? It shows us that that God is concerned about our physical sufferings and the injustice that we face in this world. That God would care to come and deliver his people from these these physical things that they're experiencing and suffering. Um, sometimes we can, we can wrongly think that God's just concerned about our souls and that where we're going is we're going to live in heaven in this kind of disembodied angel-like fluttering around uh, precious moments existence for the rest of our lives. But God is showing us here, one, that He created a physical material world and said it's good, but also that He would enter in and is concerned about saving His people from physical, material hurting and pain and suffering shows us something that's very important about the concerns of our God. And this is a picture of ultimately when Jesus comes and returns, that He will also redeem and restore us from the physical sufferings that we're facing. Remember, one of the things that we uh, confessed this morning in our affirmation of faith is that when Jesus rose from the dead, He rose from the dead with the same body that He died with. Jesus lives now physically, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. That means when he comes, he's going to be physical, human flesh, and he's going to redeem and restore this physical world, and we will rise from the dead. Our bodies will be renewed and restored. There'll be physical bodies, and we will live here on this physical material earth. And the revelation gives us this picture without crying, without sickness, without suffering, without tears, without sorrow anymore. Because that is the kind of God we serve who cares about these physical sufferings that we're going through. And although we're enduring them now, 
the hope we have is that this is what He will come to redeem and restore us from. But it's not just the physical. There's also this aspect here of what God was saving and delivering His people from. The reason that He came into the world, not just to deliver them from these physical sufferings and oppressions, but also to deliver them from false gods. From worshiping something or someone other than Him. Notice how verse 46 ends. I am Yahweh, their God. Over and over in this passage and throughout um, the, this book of Exodus as we've looked at it, uh, God communicates over and over again that, again, in the beginning of verse 46, they will know that I am Yahweh their God. Then at the end, I am Yahweh their God. That comes up over and over when we saw even the, the, the demonstrations of the plagues that he was doing. God was doing it not just so that Egypt would know that he is God, but so that his people would know that he is God. What, what is it a, a, about that? What is he trying to communicate there? See, the people of Israel would have had no problem knowing that or believing that this God, Yahweh, would exist. They were believing in multitude of gods as they lived there in Egypt. From the sun god to the god that controlled the Nile to the god that would control the harvest and would bring um, uh, babies to their animals and to their families and feeding them and rain and light and dark and sun and all of this stuff. They would have had no problem understanding, oh, of course, there's another god that exists. But what God is wanting to show here and communicate to them is not just that he exists as one among many gods, but that He is the one true God, the all-powerful one, the one who when you look and you put your hopes and trust in me, I will never fail you. The one who remember Israel and think back of all those gods in Egypt. Did you ever hear them speak? Did you ever hear them move? Did you ever see those statues that you, you saw set up around or painted up on the, the sides of the buildings ever do anything? No, you didn't. But what have you seen me do? What have you heard me say? I am Yahweh, the all-powerful sovereign one who created everything and who has come to pursue you so that you will know that I am the one true God and that these other gods are false. And as you, if you put your hope and trust in them, you will be disappointed. But not with me. Not with me. I have come so that you will know that I am the faithful, redeeming God that you can put absolutely every bit of your confidence in, and I will never, ever fail you. Not just physical oppression that we've been delivering from, we're also being delivered from these, these false gods. The other things that we think about, and we've talked about this in the past, don't necessarily think about deliverance from uh, praying to, to Ra or Osiris or any of those things that I'm sure... Um, when you go home today, if I ever come to visit, make sure you hide all of those gods under your, your bed so I don't see them. No, those aren't there. But do you find yourself placing your hopes and your trust in your career? Thinking, it, if I can just 
get to that rank. If I can just make it to my 20 years, then I'll be, I'll be set. Or if I can uh, show my peers that I'm qualified to lead and have this uh, recognition, then I will be significant. Or all of this family is coming in town for the holidays. And I really need, it's, it's utmost importance. My identity is wrapped up completely and totally in what my family perceives and thinks of me. And I've never had the, the affirmation of my mom or my dad, or I've never had the affirmation of that aunt or uncle or that sister. They think we're, we've, uh, we're a disgrace and have accomplished nothing. But this is the, the holiday when we're going to show them that we have it together, that our kids are acting appropriately, and that we're going to put on a feast so that they will finally give us the words of affirmation we need. And my hopes are placed there. Or maybe it's in your relational status. Maybe longing to be a mom or a dad. Maybe longing to be a husband or a wife. And you're hoping and putting your trust in that to deliver and save you and to bring you significance, God is saying here, I've entered into this world so that you would know that I am Yahweh. I am the one true and living God. All these other things that you put your hopes in will fail and disappoint you, but not me. So He's come to deliver from oppression. He's come to deliver from false gods, but He's also come to deliver from sin. Look in verses 38 to 44. Um, up to this point previous in this section, God has been talking to Moses and telling him about uh, how to construct the, the altar and the tabernacle, and he's going to unfold these uh, instructions before this. Just before this, though, he's been talking about priests and how to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do in the appropriate way. And this tells us one of the important things that they would have done in verses 38 and following. This morning and evening sacrifice. A whole burnt offering where a one-year-old uh, sheep would have been placed on the altar in front of the tent of meeting and would have been burned up totally and completely in the morning. And then again in the evening, another one would have been placed on there totally and completely burned up. This would tell them, tell Israel something. First, they would have remembered back to the last time they were called a lamb being killed and how it resulted in their deliverance. Remember, we've talked about this. The blood was put up over the doors, reminding Israel, you have not been saved and delivered just because you're Israel. You deserve to suffer just like the Egyptians. The, what's bringing you deliverance is not merit in and of yourself. It's the fact that you've placed your hope and your trust in the blood that has been shed for you and marks your home. Here, they would have been reminded of every day, morning and evening, a lamb suffers and dies and its blood is shed. And it is offered up in a whole burnt offering going up to God. They would have seen the smoke rising. We'll learn about this later, but the way that it would have functioned is that this would have smoldered all day long. 
And so it would, the, the tent of meeting would have been in the middle of the camp of Israel as they were in the wilderness. And the smoke would have been rising up. And from anywhere they were in the camp, they would have looked and been able to see it. And all the other sacrifices that were offered throughout the day would have gone on top of this one as the smoke continued to rise every hour of all the day, wherever they are, they're able to look and see and around the camp to see the smoke going up. Now, smoke can mean a couple of different things, right? Remember what we saw last week as God met His people on Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and fire was going up and smoke was ascending like smoke out of a kiln and the people were afraid. Remember what they said? They didn't want God to speak to them because they were afraid they might die. They wanted Moses to speak to them instead because they recognized in their sin for them to come into the presence of this holy God, they were in danger. And Moses said, don't be afraid. God isn't going to kill you. He's come that you might not sin, that you might walk with him and obey him and trust in him. But that smoke brought to them the a sense of fear and dread. Think, think, about, uh, think about this. Um, if you came home, uh, you were out and about uh, around town, and you came home and uh, you walked into your kitchen after coming back, and you smelled the smell of smoke. And you see smoke rising from inside of your, your kitchen. Um, that would cause, trigger some thoughts in your mind. Uh-oh, what's going on? Smoke should not be happening. Smoke is a sign of bad things, of fire happening where it's not supposed to. Or if you come home and you don't have a chimney, and yet you see smoke coming out of the top of your house. Bad news, right? What about, what about this kind of smoke? Imagine three more of these, or ten more of these, or six or twenty more of these, or fifty more of these on a cake. Smoke rising, rising. People singing to you, and then you blow it out. And the smoke from the cake comes up as people are celebrating, and you smell this the smell of smoke. But it, Think about when you have birthdays and you smell the smoke. It brings back memories. Not of terror and of dread. Smoke in the kitchen! No. This is great smoke. Because as this smoke rises, it's a celebration. It's a pleasing aroma. Because it's been placed on this cake because there's people who delight in you and who love you. Israel, as they're walking around and they're seeing this smoke rise up from the tent of meeting day in and day out, wherever they are in the, in the camp, they look and they see the smoke going up. They would have been reminded of their sin. The fact that this lamb needed to die for you. But notice what it says in verse 41. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering in the morning. For a pleasing aroma. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
What this would have reminded and told Israel is that God has entered into your world. He's come here to save you and deliver you from your sin. And as you look and hope to Him, He's provided for you. He's put provisions in place to deal with your sin. And although before you may have thought that you would die if you came into the presence of this God, what He's saying is that I've done something for you. And this smoke is to remind you of my great provision. As this smoke and this aroma goes up, it reminds you that even in the midst of your sin, the sacrifice that I've given for you to give back to me tells you that I love you and that I've forgiven you. It would have been a joyous and comforting thing for the people of Israel all throughout their existence. Anytime they struggled and they doubted and they wondered of God's love and his care for them to see the smoke going up, to see the smoke going up and be reminded that I came to deliver and save you from your sin. Is that not what we're celebrating in a, in a greater way now? These Every single one of these lambs that was slaughtered day in and day out, night in and night out, was pointing to the one true lamb who would come. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs that were sacrificed every year for the people of Israel. But ever since Jesus came and he entered into our world and he suffered and he died and he rose again, we sacrifice nothing anymore. Now, the Scriptures tell us we are a pleasing aroma to our God. He delights in us. And we have the opportunity and the privilege because of what Jesus has done in our lives to present our bodies, our lives, as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable, pleasing to Him. Because of Jesus coming and entering into this world, that smoke that goes up, the pleasing aroma, the experience of God's delight and His pleasure with you because of what He has done. God came to deliver us from sin. So He's come to deliver us from physical sufferings, from these false gods and from our sin. But what has He come to deliver us to? Notice in uh, verse 46 what God says, "...and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God." who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. The purpose, the ultimate goal of what God was doing wasn't just to deliver them from the oppression of their physical suffering in Egypt, from these false gods and from their sin, but that was all a means to put them in a place and a circumstance to where He could dwell with them that they would be delivered into a relationship with this God who created all things. Well, think about how crazy that is. I want you to look at these, this picture up here. You see this little blue dot here? That's earth. That's us. This planet here is Saturn. This was taken back in 2013 by the Cassini, Cassini, Cassini uh, satellite that was exploring and going out. This is from 900 million miles away. Our universe is huge, incredibly huge. This is just within our solar system. Look how small 
You could even say insignificant we are as we look here. The next picture. I don't even know if you can see this or not. This is from Voyager, taken back in 1990. On the very edge, just as it was getting ready to leave our solar system, they turned the cameras around to take a picture back at Earth. This little dust speck that the arrow is pointing in, and it's zoomed in up there, is also Earth. From 3.7 billion miles away. They described it as a speck of dust in a light beam there. is what Carl Sagan talked about as he reflected on this. So think, think about this. The God that created a universe that is this expansive. This is just leaving our solar system. And the universe is composed of millions of solar systems and millions and billions of galaxies and stars. Yet, this little dust speck, God says, I'm going to do something special here. I'm going to create a people here who reflect and image me. And I'm going to come, the creator of all things, I'm going to come to this dust speck and not just speak with them, but dwell with them. Live with them. The one who creates the expanse of all things says, I want to deliver you so that you can live and dwell with me. But notice how it goes even further in this passage. Notice what he says as it goes on um, in verse 45. I'm going to dwell among the people of Israel. They're going to be my, my uh, I'm, I will be their God. Uh, before this, he tells Aaron and his sons that they will serve him and that the people of Israel will also serve him. Before in verse 43, it tells us that it's in the tent where God will meet with his people. So it's not just that God is coming to this dust speck, this gigantically huge earth from our perspective, but he's focusing down even more to where the creator of all things says, you know what? I'm going to live in a tent. I'm not just going to come to this dust speck. Imagine how small a tent would be on that dust speck of earth. Yet the all-powerful creator of all things says, in order that you can know me, I will humble myself to come to a dust speck and to a dust speck on a dust speck and enter into it and live in your midst with you. Wow. Crazy. That God would come and live with His people. Not just kind of hanging out, but He says, I will meet with you. And not just meet with them, but did you notice... Up in verse 38 and following, it describes, along with the lamb that's offered, also what's offered in these strange measurements that we don't really use uh, in our terminology, but that you're, they're also supposed to, to serve some, some flour mixed with oil and to pour out wine at each of the offering times. 
And it, it tells us later that this was going to be a food offering. So they're also, when this lamb is going up, they're also giving God bread and wine. Why? Because what God's wanting to tell them is that I've come here to have fellowship with you. And as the host, as your king, as this food gets burned up and from a a symbolic way, I'm eating it. I'm eating in your midst. I'm eating with you as you go about eating your meals during the day. And as you bring sacrifices and the peace offerings, the certain ones that you're able to eat, this God says, and what he's wanting to communicate and demonstrate is that I am here in a relationship with you and I love you. And I want you to have fellowship and communion with me. Who is who is this God that would do such a thing? And he goes even further. This isn't just a one-time thing. Notice what he tells them in verse in, in chapter 40 at the end. This this picture of uh, the cloud comes down and completely envelops this tent. God's presence is now in it. So much so that Moses can't even enter in. Remember, the God that was on Mount Sinai enveloped the mountain in this cloud. Now this cloud is in the tent. And what does Moses, what does God uh, tell them here? Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God is saying, I want to be with you and I will be with you wherever you go. When you leave Sinai, I'm not staying up there on the mountain. This tent is going to be a mobile, portable Mount Sinai. Wherever it goes, I will be there. And wherever I go, you will follow. Because as your God, the reason I came into this world was to deliver you from those other things so that you might know me and be with me. God is the good news of the gospel. It's not just about us escaping the penalty of our sin or us escaping hell or these other things that we are hoping in, but it's that we might know and experience and have a relationship with Him. In Matthew chapter 1, the same imagery uh, gets picked up from uh, Exodus Verse 18 and following, uh, as uh, uh, when Mary hears that she is going to have a child and the Holy Spirit appears uh, to Joseph, we'll pick up in verse uh, 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
it gets even crazier. It's not just to the dust speck of earth and to the dust speck on the dust speck of a tent, but the dust speck on the tent, a man, a baby, an infant, the Creator, God with us in a baby so that we could know Him and have a relationship with Him and He could deliver us. John has the uh, similar language in John chapter 1 where it says the Word, or he's referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled or tented among us. Jesus is God with us. Why did God come? When Lindsay was growing up, sometimes she would have uh, sleepovers. And as girls at sleepovers tend to do, so I'm told, they would stay up late giggling and laughing and wouldn't want to go to sleep. And her mom would come in several times and say, it's time to go to sleep, it's time to go to sleep, girls, be quiet. And they'd still giggle and laugh and chat and talk. And so finally, in order to to make sure that, that sleep occurred for everyone's sake, Lindsay's mom would come. She would come into the room and she would lay down in the middle of the room. In the middle of this slumber party, mom comes. Not necessarily the most exciting uh, part of the, the party, but it accomplished something. Mom got everyone to obey the rules and the law, and uh, everyone eventually fell asleep. Now, I want you to think about that experience of a parent coming and contrast it with uh, this one right here of a daughter seeing her father after he's returned from deployment in Iraq. My name is Hannah Ashrick. I'm 10 years old, and I go to Randolph Elementary School. My dad, Master Sergeant Joe Myers, is in Iraq right now. The coming of your God. Do you view it more as the mom laying in the middle of the slumber party trying to get you to obey the rules? Or do you view it as the restoration of a relationship that your heart has been longing and desiring and hoping for for your entire existence. And when God comes, you experience the reunification of a loving... I'm not saying Lindsay's mom's not loving. But of a loving parent and that relationship is restored. This is what Scripture is pointing us to. This is Christmas. This is what we're longing for when Jesus returns. In the garden, God came and He met with His people and that fellowship was broken. And they were no longer able to enter into the garden. Then Exodus happens. And God meets with His people in a tent. 
but they can't come very close. It's like Skype compared to physical interaction. But now, your God has come to you and He will come again, restoring the relationship you were created for. This is why our God has come. And we long and anticipate the day when He returns. And this will be your and my experience as we are reunited face to face, body to body, hug to hug with our God and with our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You, Jesus, that You would take on flesh to come to be with us. And Holy Spirit, we thank You that in Your great, gracious work, You have applied these truths and opened up our hearts and our minds to look to and cling to and hope in Jesus. We pray that You would do that all the more. For His name.